Well, if you have your glasses, you may put them on. If you have wet shoes, you may take them off. And if you have your Bibles, would you please open them this morning to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. In just a moment, we're going to begin reading with verse 3 through 7. We're in a sermon series through this book. The book was written by the Apostle Paul to young Timothy, who was a young man and a pastor at the church at Ephesus. The title of the message is Christ Jesus, our mediator. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Beginning with verse 3 through 7. Paul writes to young Timothy, he writes to you and I this morning. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed at the proper time. And for this purpose I was appointed a herald or an apostle. And I am telling the truth. I am not lying. And true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles am I. I'd like to begin this morning up front with you, straight out of the gate. No stutter, no stammer, no hesitation, no equivocation, no reservation, no desire to appeal to any theological correctness of what humans may believe. This is what I want you to hear your pastor say loudly and clearly. It is God's desire. God the Father's desire, God the Son's desire, God the Spirit's desire, the Holy Trinity's desire, that all men know the gospel truth and all men come to Jesus and be saved. Let me say that again. It is God's desire, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the Trinity's desire, that all men come to the knowledge of the gospel of truth and all men respond to that truth and be gloriously saved. For that reason, Paul has said to Timothy, we're to pray for all men's souls. When we pray, we should pray for the souls of men. And many times those souls we're praying for are family members and friends and people we live next door to or work with or go to school with or have recreation with. We're to pray for men. We're to pray for their knowledge. We're to pray for their souls. We're also to go to those men. That's part of the Great Commission, to go to them. We can't expect them to come to us. They have no interest in spiritual things. They're dead spiritually. We who are alive in Christ, we go to them. We go to every face of every race and every place in this world, telling people the truth about our Lord and how to be gloriously saved. We tell them that God loves them. God loves them. That Jesus died for them on a cross at Calvary. 
And with the passion and the power of the Holy Spirit. We compel them. We urge them. We petition them to give their life to Jesus. Now what men do with that truth. Is up to them. But the gospel is for all men. Not just a majority. Not just a minority. Not just the elect. Not just the non-elect. Not just the religious and the Jews. Not just the pagans and the Gentiles. The gospel is for all men. And God wants all men to know it. And God wants all men to respond positively and affirmatively to it. Now why do we go into that? Because as Paul is writing Timothy. He's trying to educate a young man who doesn't have a lot of education. He's trying to encourage a man that's facing a lot of opposition and obstacles in his first pastorate at the church at Ephesus. And part of that opposition, part of the obstacles, part of the challenges that he's facing in the church of Ephesus is coming from people who don't believe the Bible. As we've talked about in previous messages, Satan tries to infiltrate the church. He tries to infiltrate the leadership. He tries to infiltrate the laity. He tries to take over the pulpit. He tries to take over the pews. And he has done this at the church at Ephesus. And Timothy, called of God, sent by Paul, has been sent there and called to go there to take on the problems of the church and correct them. That a church that is dying and headed to the graveyard might be restored back to life and become a vital part of God's work in the world. But Timothy has opposition. And much of the opposition is coming from groups that would oppose people knowing how to be saved. And telling them how to be saved. Leading them to a saving knowledge of Jesus. In the past messages we have saw that some of them are called liberals. Liberals teach that the scriptures cannot be taken literally. That they cannot be read and understood by a layperson like you and I. That the Bible is nothing more than fairy tales and fables and comic book stories. Metaphors, symbols or similes of things that are not really true. But they stand for something that might be true. So he had to contend with liberals who are saying well the gospel isn't the gospel. And then he had to contend with Gnostics. The Gnostics were a group that were believed that they were super educated. That they were scholarly. That they, they had the ability to understand the Bible where we don't. And so therefore we read the Bible. We, we only get the superficial, the shallow truth of it. The Gnostics taught that they understood the deeper things. They understood the darker things. They understood the complex things of the Bible. And when it came to the gospel, they said it wasn't quite as easy as it sounds. And so they were muddying the waters of the knowledge of the gospel and how to be saved. The liberals were muddying the waters and how to be saved. And then you had a third group we spent a lot of time with. And that was the legalist. Who say the Bible might be true. It might not be true. Who, who can know? 
But they certainly would say the Bible is not sufficient in and of itself. That the Bible you've got in your hands isn't enough. That you have to have other supplemental sources of, of, of information. That you have to do extra things in order to impress God that he'll bless you down here and bless you up there. And those supplemental things that you had to do was 600 plus rules that they added to the Ten Commandments. These things dealt with every governance of life. Even to the point of telling you how to eat corn. Do you eat cream corn? Or whole kernel corn? Do you eat it off the cob or on the cob? That's the kind of stuff they worried with. And let the weightier matters of the Bible go unattended to. So Timothy had to contend with these groups. And 1 Timothy is a letter that Paul sent to this young man to educate him on doctrinal truth and to encourage him not to get frustrated and aggravated and discouraged in dealing with people who are erroneous in their beliefs and in their behaviors. So when you read 1 Timothy, I want you to understand you're reading a letter, because epistles are letters, a letter from Paul to Timothy, a young man, 18 or 19 years old, no, he has a high school degree, but no college degree, no seminary degree, so Paul is teaching him things that he's going to need to know if he's going to pastor this church and correct it. He's also encouraging this young man who wants to quit. Have you ever faced something in life when you just wanted to throw in the towel, tap out, give up, and move on? Well, Timothy was about ready to do that. He had just got there. And yet he's facing this overwhelming opposition. He doesn't feel like he's educationally prepared to do it or experientially prepared to do it. And so 1 Timothy is Paul's, not only is he educating Timothy, but he's patting Timothy on the back. He's hugging Timothy around the neck. He's saying, listen, young man, God can do it through you. You don't have to do it. Let God do it through you. Let God's wisdom make up for your lack of education. Let God's power make up for your lack of experience. And I would say that to you. Sometimes we allow life to overwhelm us. We get intimidated by life. God doesn't get intimidated. God doesn't get overwhelmed. Call upon the name of the Lord and let Him step into it with you. Now I say all that to now go to our verses. Because Paul has been talking about prayer with Timothy, if you recall from last week. He's also talking about how God's desire is that all men be saved. And in order for men to be saved, they have to have knowledge of the gospel of truth. But now, Paul is going to talk about Jesus Christ. Not about the Baptists. Not about a church. He's going to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants Timothy to understand the center and circumference if our faith is found in a person whose name is, help me out, his name is Jesus. Say it, Jesus. Now if i got to do all the amens and all the talking back, I'm getting time and a half. 
I mean, y'all got to help out a little bit. You just can't be pretty faces looking up here at me. Or not so pretty faces looking up here at me. He's going to talk about the Lord Jesus. And he's going to share two things with Timothy that are absolutely important. If Timothy's going to communicate the knowledge of the gospel and see that God wants all men to be saved. Because there were people in that day who believed that not all men should be saved or shall be saved. That God had a special group he picked out and everybody else, sorry Charlie. Well, I want you to see that's not true. First thing I want you to see, if you got your Bibles open, and I hope you do, and we'll keep them open, you'll get 50% more out of everything I say if you got the Bible in front of you. He says to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to know that the Lord Jesus is our mediator. Timothy, I want you to understand when you are teaching the gospel truth to people, when you're leading people to Jesus or making the attempt to lead people to Jesus, I want you to understand that the Jesus they're going to be coming to is a mediator. Look, at, if you would, at verse 5. For there is one God. Not multiple gods, there is one God. And there's one mediator between God and mankind, or God and human beings. And that's the man Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus is our mediator. What is a mediator, biblically speaking? A mediator is a person who is a go-between. He's a connector. He is brought into a situation to bring peace to two parties that have a quarrel, that have a difference, that have a dispute, that have a conflict, that you might even say have a war with one another. A mediator is a person that both sides approve. They believe he will be fair, he will be honest, he's brought in to broker peace between two parties that can't get along. And Jesus Christ is a mediator. He is a mediator between two parties that have a conflict, that have a dispute, that have a quarrel with one another. Those two parties are a holy God on one side. God is holy. Never forget that, ladies and gentlemen. God is holy. We may not be holy. We may not teach people to be holy. Our church may not be holy. Our denomination may not be holy. But God is holy. And he expects holiness out of those who claim his name, whether it be a church or whether it be individuals. God is holy. He does not negotiate his holiness with nobody. Many of us think, well, if I do nine things good and one thing bad, the nine things good will make up for the one thing bad. No, it doesn't. He is holy, absolute holiness. So we got a holy God here. On the other side of that holy God is a sinful man. You and I. In fact, all members of the human race are sinful. In our sinfulness, we are separated from God. In our sinfulness, we are facing the wrath of God. So we have a holy God here, 
a sinful man here. God will not negotiate his holiness with nobody. If you're going to walk with God, you will be holy or you will not walk with him. And on the other side, you got sinful man. Now, some of us are bigger sinners than others. Some of us are prettier sinners than others. Some of us know how to make our sin look more nicer than others. But make no mistake about it, we're all sinners. Because sin is what you think. Sin is what you feel. Sin is an attitude that you have. Sin is words you speak. Sin is the conduct by which you live your life. And that's why the Bible says all have sinned because all of us have sinned. So don't walk around patting yourself on the back. That you're better than everybody else. You might be, but you're still a sinner. And so Jesus Christ came into the world on the first Christmas. He came into the world and became a what? A man. Why? Because he now was going to be the mediator. The God-chosen mediator. To settle a dispute between holy God and sinful man. And he would have the credentials to do it because he is a God-man. Did you catch that? He has the credentials to be the mediator. An angel couldn't do it. An animal couldn't do it because they don't have the credentials. But he could do it. Why? Because he is God, 100% God. He's deity. But he's also 100% man. He's humanity. And therefore he can step in and he can mediate God and man back together again. Because he is a God-man. Get, get it down plain, simple, and straight. When we're talking about salvation, we're talking about peace with God. Dr. Billy Graham has a track he used to give out called Steps to Peace with God. Salvation is many things, but it's basically establishing peace between man and God. Because God and man are in a dispute, we're in a quarrel, we're in a conflict because of our sin and His holiness. And God desired to do something lovingly and legally that he could command could come back together. And in the Lord Jesus, he was able to do that. Now think about it. Jesus was God. Don't never forget this. Don't let anybody skew it for you. Jesus was God in a human being. 100% God. Deity. Second member of the Holy Trinity. Because he's God... He understands God. He understands that God hates sin. He understands the foolishness and wickedness of sin. He understands the destructiveness and death of sin. He understands the hatred and hostility of sin. He also understands that God loves. God just doesn't hate sin, but God loves the sinners. God loves us. And even though we are sinners, even though we're separated from God, even though we're under the wrath of God, God loves us. And he understands that because Jesus is who? Help me. He's God. 
He knows the mind and heart of God. He is God. Hebrews talks about how he is a God man. He can do what no other could do. He's a God man. You know the story of the Good Samaritan is about the Lord Jesus who is God. The man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, from the city of God to the city of the devil. Remember, he's attacked by hoods, thugs, terrorists, thieves, whatever you want to call them. They rob him, leave him for dead on the road. Others walk by, pray for the man, pat him on the head, but they don't do nothing. But but the good Samaritan comes and he sees the man. The man probably didn't, shouldn't have been walking out in the road by himself at that time of day. Maybe the man himself was a thief and was attacked by thieves. There's no honor among thieves, you know. But, but, but sin has put him in that position of dying on the road. And if something doesn't happen, he's going to die. But the good Samaritan sees that and he understands that sin caused this, but he also loves that man. And so he steps in to help him. Jesus, being God, sees what sin has done to us. He could have just turned and walked away, but he didn't, because Jesus has the heart of God too. And he saw that and it it moved him. He had to do something. So Jesus can be the mediator because he's God and he understands God. But also... He became what? Jesus became a man. And as a man, though he never sinned, he understood the penalty of sin that we're under. He understood the power of sin that we face every day that tempts us to do wrong. He understands the presence of sin and how we can move all across this world. But we can't escape sin because sin lives in us. He understands how, what it is to be captive to Satan and, and bound by sin and, and have a death sentence hanging over our head. How does he understand that? How does Jesus understand that? Because he walked in this world for 33 and a half years just like us. He was in the flesh. He had to eat. He had to drink. He had to sleep. He faced all the temptations we face and probably far more than we'll ever face. And yet in all of that, he never sinned. He was perfect. He was a perfect man. But yet he understands. Are you catching this now? This is important, folks. This, this is good theology. This will help you understand why what, what took, took place right up there. Jesus came into the world to be the mediator. He's going to settle the dispute. He's God. He understands God's hatred for sin, but God's love for sinners. He's going to represent God. But he's also going to represent you and I. Because he understands what it's like to be living in a sinful world, facing all the things that we face. He's going to represent us. He's the mediator. And his mediation would be at the table of Calvary. As he was hanging on the cross, 
suspended between heaven and earth on two beams. Jesus Christ, who is God, took his hand and reached up into heaven. He took the hand of God the Father, the holy hand of God the Father, a hand of love, a hand of grace, a hand of mercy. And because he could do that, he is God, he brought that hand downward and rested it on his bosom. Think about that. He's on the cross, and yet he reaches down and brings that hand right there. Because he is man, 100% man, perfect man, but he's man. He reaches downward, and he grabs our sinful hand. But a hand of faith, and he pulls it up. And there at Calvary, 2,000 years ago in a cross, the grace of God met the faith of man. The holiness of God met the sinfulness of man in Jesus. He brought us together. But he was more than just a mediator, ladies and gentlemen, as I close. He was also the Lamb of God. Because this mediator is going to do something that no mediator would ever do. He is going to pay the price of the mediation. If you go to mediation down here and you get a mediator to settle a dispute between you and somebody else, the mediator is going to make a deal. He's going to find an agreement. But he's not going to pay you for it. You're going to pay him. But Jesus, the mediator, said, listen, I'm representing God and man, but there's no way I can reconcile these two unless I do something. If you have your Bible, notice verse 6. There's one God and one mediator between God and man. There's only one. He's the man Christ Jesus, the God-man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. There's nothing in the Bible that's coincidental or accidental, ladies and gentlemen. When Jesus came on the scene and began his earthly ministry of three and a half years at age 30, he made his appearance when John the Baptist was in the desert baptizing people. And John the baptizer stopped baptizing people in the river and he looked up and he saw Jesus coming. Jesus was coming to be baptized, not because he needed to be. He just wanted to let us know this is what you do to identify yourself with God. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he made a remark, a statement. Perhaps they thought it was incidental then, but it was not. It was fundamental. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Jesus is not just going to be the mediator. He's going to be the Lamb of God to pay the price of the mediation. The word ransom means to pay a price. 
that is owed in a legal matter. Because God is a judge. He loves us, but he cannot allow his love to disqualify the law that he set in place. The Bible says that we have sinned against God. God had laws in place. We broke those laws. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none, none righteous, no, not one. We're sinners. We were born in sin. We make a choice to become sinners as we grow older by our own decisions. We're sinners. And the wages of sin is what? Death. That's the law. You can't change it. I can't change it. God who put it in place can't change it. That's the law. If you sin, you will die. Death in the Bible means more than just going to a hole in the grave. It means to going to hell in the ground too. So we got a problem here. Jesus is the mediator. Holy God, sinful man. But the law says because man is sinful, he must what? Die. How can you do anything about that? You can't. The law is fixed. It's firm. A judge can't change the law of the land. Even God cannot change the law he set in place. If a judge allows somebody who breaks the law to get off the hook, the judge is as guilty as the man he lets off the hook. God cannot let sinful man off the hook. Man has sinned. Man must pay for his sin with his life. So what is Jesus going to do? He's trying to reconcile the two together. So what does he do? He found a solution. Jesus, pay attention, on the cross, takes the sin of you and I and every man, woman, boy or girl who would ever live and places it on himself. He not just mediates on the cross, he takes our sin. Every sin ever committed by every human being who would ever live in this world from the first to the last comes upon Jesus the Bible says it this way. He who knew no sin became our sin. He literally became our sin. When he took our sin, legally, he took it. He had never sinned. He was perfect, but yet he takes our sin. He also took what with our sin? Think about it now. Be thinkers. If the wages of sin is death and we're under the death sentence because of our sin, he takes our sin, what does he get with it? The death penalty. The wages of our sin that he took upon himself is now his death. And so now the matter becomes between the son and the father. God the father is holy. God the son is now sinful. And we're pushed out of the picture because he's standing in our place. The father says to the son, do you know what you're doing? He says, yes, I will now pay for the sins. I will, sac I, will meet, I will meet the demands of the law by giving my life. 
And for six hours he hung on the cross. He took our pain. He took our torment. He took our suffering. He took our hell. It was so bad God turned out the lights on the last three hours of what his son would go through on that cross. There would be no human eyes who were going to see it. And then he died. And because of that, holy God now could cross over. And sinful man was no longer sinful because Jesus paid for our sins. And now we come together. We come together in peace. Jesus satisfied the law by the giving of his own blood and the giving of his own life. As Kim sang about so eloquently in that song earlier. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. What's finished? The transaction. The legal loving transaction of the law. Of sinners and the penalty of that sin. And how through that they can come back to a holy God. Think about that. We think about the superficial parts of it. He's our Savior, but He's more than that. He mediated our salvation with God. And then He paid the price that was demanded for that mediation to take place. Jesus the meditator is Jesus the Lamb of God. I don't know about you, I, 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 it just moves me to think about that. That should have been you and me up there. I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on that cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's son, took my place. He pushed me out of the way and he stepped up. And now I have peace with God through Jesus. I can have fellowship with him. I can be with him now. I can be with him eternally. And so can you. That's what Paul wanted Timothy to know. And that's what I want you to know. That's how much God loves you. How much Jesus loves you. And that's the cost of what we so casually call salvation. Free to us, but it cost him everything. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.